Good afternoon, everybody. How are you doing? Thank you so much for coming. Let me ask you a question. You know, we, we, there's a lot, of, a lot of people here who come at management thinking from strategy, from markets, from brand management, from, from an understanding of markets in general. So let me ask you, where do these markets exist? Where do these markets exist? Where is a market? Where do brands compete? Where do they compete? Do they compete on the shelf? Do they compete online? Or do they compete inside the consumer's mind? You know my favorite answer, right? Oh. <laughs> so, so clearly, I'm leaning towards brands compete inside the consumer's mind. Brands exist inside the consumer's mind. And if you're not convinced of that, let's do a little thought experiment. Brands exist not at the registrar, trademark registry office. Brands exist not inside your patent vault. Brands exist not inside your four walls at all. Brands don't exist in the brand manager's desk drawer. Brands exist in the minds of customers. So let's do a little thought experiment. Imagine that tonight, let's take a brand such as Coca-Cola. Imagine that tonight, all of Coca-Cola company's physical assets, their plant, their machinery, their bottling capacity, their trucks, everything goes up in flames and disappears overnight. Tomorrow morning, Coca-Cola will try to obtain financing to start operations again tomorrow. How likely is it that they can obtain this financing? If it's likely, raise your hand. If Coca-Cola can obtain financing to start its operations again tomorrow, after all of its physical assets have been burned to the ground. Now imagine a second part of this scenario. Imagine that somewhere near Donetsk, there is a old weapons research laboratory that begins to leak a colorless, odorless gas that envelops the world overnight and its only effect is to create partial amnesia among seven billion consumers such that they forget the brand name Coca-Cola and all of its associations. Now, how likely is it that Coca-Cola can obtain financing to start operations again tomorrow? If it's likely, raise your hand. It's far less likely, isn't it? And so where does Coca-Cola's most important asset reside? It resides in the minds of customers. That's the asset its brand managers have to manage. That's the asset that the company must manage. So where does it compete with other brands? It competes with other brands also in the mind of the customer. And so what, I, what I'd like to do is to understand how these brands are represented in the minds of customers and how, by what rules, do they compete with each other? What does it mean for brands to compete inside the minds of customers? 
And we started to take initial steps towards this. One example is if brands exist in categories, and we can draw an analogy to categorization in the psychology literature, then there's a lot that we know about how brands are represented in consumers' minds. We know, for example, that not all brands are equally representative of their category. Just as, you know, the category of chairs. When we represent chairs in our mind, we represent some, a surface to sit on, a backrest, four legs, and that's a typical chair in our mind. So typical chairs have four legs, a surface to sit on, and a backrest. But what about an office chair that doesn't have four legs? It has wheels or coasters. What about a beanbag? What about a gym ball that is used as a chair? All of these we would recognize as chairs, but we, they, would be not, they wouldn't be the first chairs that come to mind when I say, think of a chair. And when I ask you to list what are, the, you know, what are some typical chairs or draw some typical chairs, you will not draw beanbags or gym balls. In other words, we have what is called a graded structure in our mind. We have typicality structures. Some things are more typical of the category, others are less typical. Similarly for brands, Coca-Cola is much more typical of the cola category than is Dr. Pepper. And more typical means more central to the category. Other brands in the category are compared with the more central brands in the category. The more central brands come to mind first. They're the first to enter the consideration set. They tend to be the first chosen. They also tend to be the first chosen across a wide variety of usage occasions. So they have certain properties. In other words, the way we represent brands in the mind carries implications for consumer behavior, which then carries implications for strategy. There's, you know, centrality is one dimension along which brands can be arrayed within, inside the consumer's mind. There's another dimension, which is instinctively brand managers have known this dimension forever because the first thing that you hear from uh, a brand manager training new brand managers will be differentiate, differentiate your brand, find your USP. And so that differentiation is a second dimension of which is fairly fundamental to the organization of elements within the consumer's mind. So in the last few months, in the last few couple of years actually, what we've tried to do, my team and I, is to look at what happens. Can we link these positions in the consumer's mind on, on typicality or on distinctiveness to strategy? So one, one of the things that we did, which and we published an article in, in the Harvard Business Review in June, uh, one of the things that we did was we looked at the passenger automobile category as well as the beer category. We chose those categories for the simple reason that they're fun. Uh, they also have a lot of brands in them. So there's central automobile, such as you know, a Toyota is very central. Honda is central, Ford is central, and these studies were conducted in the US. We collected data. In the beer category, Bud is central, Miller is central. 
And so centrality clearly matters. In fact, the greater the centrality in our studies, the greater the market share. But also distinctiveness matters. Heineken is more distinctive. Corona is more distinctive than Bud. Guinness is more distinctive. And, and more, greater distinctiveness carries with it not market share as a reward, but price premium. So you, you can gain a price premium by, char, by being more distinctive. And so that's the incentive to be more distinctive. But when you cross these two dimensions, centrality and distinctiveness, you end up with four quadrants, which in, itself, you know, in and of themselves are very interesting. Brands that are both more central and distinctive, you let me know when, when you want to, yeah, two minutes, thank you. So brands that are both more central and distinctive are aspirational brands. In the automobile category, BMW, Mercedes, Lexus, and until recently, Audi were in that category. In the mainstream category, where you have high centrality but low distinctiveness, you have brands such as Ford, such as Toyota. In the peripheral category, which is neither central nor distinctive, you have brands such as Mazda, such as Kia, such as Hyundai. Those are neither, neither central nor distinctive. And then you have brands that are distinctive but not central. And these are brands such as Tesla and Mini and Smart. And so what we're, what we're finding is that actually, once you start to map the consumer's mind and you start to map the markets that exist in consumer's mind in order to understand the competition that takes place in the, inside the consumer's mind, we end up with these four different quadrants that each carry a very different business model. The premium business model of the aspirational segment, the volume uh, and, and, and leadership model of the, of the mainstream segment, the follower cost-based model of the, uh, of the peripheral segment, and the innovation-based model on low volumes of the unconventional quadrant. And so each of these quadrants corresponds to a type of business model. So what, we've, what we're trying to do is to link what happens inside the consumer's mind to strate strategies, strategic options, and positioning options. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. That was a Thinkers 50 podcast. Thinkers 50 podcasts are produced by KDH Creative.